Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Before we get into the episode, apologies if this audio quality isn't to your liking. We're working on it for future episodes. Are you a new intern, a new anesthesiology resident, a new faculty member? In this episode, we're going to talk about how to deal with that nervousness of being new. I want you to embrace the excitement and nervousness you are feeling. And I know it's so hard for us to do this. We are high achieving, incredibly independent individuals, and we don't like asking for help. We don't like not knowing exactly what to do, but you're discovering that life is not a textbook. You can't read and memorize and then accurately predict what's going to happen in the future. Nope. Welcome to the real world where the test comes first and you learn the lessons after. So how to deal with nervousness? DEAL is an acronym. The first letter is D. Number one, don't beat up on yourself. We do this all the time and we have to stop. Don't fault yourself for not knowing the mechanics of where you are. We call ourselves stupid and dumb for doing a task we've never done before, ordering from an electronic medical record we've never seen before, or just putting in an IV, things we've never done you're beating yourself up on. And we we have to stop this because I'm telling you right now, if you don't show yourself grace and patience, the culture of medicine is not going to do it for you. No one's going to come up to you and pat you on the back and say, you know what? It's okay. The New York Times published an incredible article called The Moral Crisis of American Doctors. And I'm going to put a link of that in the show notes. A quote from that article Dr. Masood said that doctors are increasingly the scapegoats of systemic problems within the healthcare system because the patient is not seeing the insurance company that denied them the procedure. They're not seeing the electronic medical record that's taking up all our time. And I want to add to this quote, they're also not seeing the administrators who are dictating the amount of time that we're seeing with the patient. So this is not to get on a soapbox to talk about the medical system, but to really encourage you to give yourself some patience and some grace. Now, as a trainee, your job is to learn what's important and what isn't. And you do that by asking questions of your senior resident, of your attending, asking the nurses, you know, share your thoughts out loud to your senior resident and attending. And if feedback is not readily given to you, You seek it out. Find out what worked and didn't work 
and keep your criticism on the task. Don't extrapolate it to who you are as a person. I want you to get in the habit of saying two nice things about yourself for every criticism you deliver. We have to stop the self-flagellation. That was D. Don't beat up on yourself. Okay. E. Establish a sense of community. Now, of course, it's intuitive to connect with your fellow intern and residents, but newsflash, homie, you aren't going to be seeing them during your day-to-day. Your community is really the people you're rubbing shoulders with day in and day out. So if you're on the wards, that would be the nurses, the patient care techs, could be the pharmacists, the social workers. If you're in the operating room, it would be the circulating nurse, the OR tech, the surgeon, the anesthesia tech. That's your community. That's who you look to develop a relationship with. So that means we are extending a hand across the healthcare landscape. We're asking their people's names and using their names, okay? People love hearing the sound of their name. And we're always putting the people first over the task. If the task is not life or death, because people will go out of their way for someone they like. Now, I'm not saying kiss anyone's ass. Be authentically you. Make it a point, though, to see the person you're working with as a person and not just a tool to fulfill what you need. See, I had this bad during my first year of anesthesiology training. I was so nervous, so myopically focused on making sure I had every little thing on my anesthesia workstation that I drove the anesthesia techs crazy. In the morning, I came in really early. And if I couldn't call, if I couldn't find what I needed, I called them up. I blew up their phones. And they told me later that they would talk amongst themselves and be like, who is that calling this morning? Right? Who is that? And they would say amongst themselves, that's that black doctor. (laughs) That black doctor, isn't it? I mean, as I got more confident in my skills, I began to see the text as old people. We had conversations, right? I knew who they were, stuff about their family, what they enjoy doing. And it really changed the entire dynamic. You know, they knew what rooms I was in and they went out of their way to ensure I got what I needed and I got the help I needed it when I needed it. And by the end of training, they shared their love and appreciation for me and I for them. And I was like, man, This feels like family. This feels so good. Like, why couldn't I have had this from the very beginning? But I had to learn to see them as people first and not get so caught up in the task and the nervousness that I forget the person in front of me. So don't make the mistake I did. Establish a relationship. It takes two seconds to be like, hey, you good? How's it going? Or you know what? Where'd you get that ring from? Or I like your hair. Just something to establish a touch point that you see them as a person. And it goes a long way. So we talked about D and E. A is acknowledge that patients are people first too. We are seeing patients during the worst days of their lives. And it's so easy for us, you know, if you're new to get nervous and rattled in front of the patient, especially if the patient's like angry and emotionally charged. You know, you feel like you're being fed to the wolves walking in that room. Um, 
And and then when we do that, we're just focused on getting the information, being a scribe. And we miss looking them in their face, seeing the tears that are welling up. Or maybe they're getting increasingly angry and agitated. We miss the bodily cues. We miss knowing when to pause, asking them if they're okay. Do they need a drink of water? Should they sit down instead of standing up? We miss those crucial cues. And instead, we just collect an information. Don't miss out on the opportunity to connect with your patients on a deeper level. Because when you do that and you get to know the person in front of you, you can get a sense of how their health has taken shape the way it has. So, for example, you know, I see patients in the chronic pain clinic. I serve children. And I had a 12-year-old come to me with headaches. You know, grandmother brought him in. She's his guardian. His mother is incarcerated. And he couldn't get any sleep at night because they were, quote unquote, shooting fireworks off outside of his apartment. And the family members, they smoked inside the house. They didn't feel comfortable going outside. So he's someone who has asthma. And on exam, his sinuses were really tender. So by by being able to get a whole picture of what's happening here, we were able to involve social work, have him moved into a better neighborhood, and now he could get sleep at night because there's no quote-unquote fireworks going off. Family members who continue to choose to smoke can smoke outside and not around him. And then we were also able to reconnect him to the pulmonologist and address the asthma and the sinus tenderness. Now, I get it. You know, we're not always able to correct all these different social determinants of health, like lodging. But in this case, we were. And we would have never been able to do that if I just said, oh, headache. Oh, well, you know, you try these over the counters. Right? I would we would never be able to get to the bottom of it if I didn't see this patient as a whole person first. 71% of patients feel that their physician lacks compassion. And again, I'd argue the reason for this is because of the lack of connectedness. You know, there are some of you who are so fearful of making a mistake because you don't want to get sued. Oh, I don't want to get the wrong diagnosis. I don't want to make a mistake on this procedure you know, lawsuit, lawsuit, fear. But let me share with you, if you do this step, seeing your patient as a person first, patients don't sue doctors they like. They sue the ones they don't like. They sue the ones they don't know. Communication misadventures were the basis of the majority of malpractice claims. Okay, that's talking at the patient instead of to the patient. And really the only way that we can frame the information in a way that patients understand is if we know our patient. And I'm not talking just the medical history, who they are as a person. So pay attention to the words they use when they give their history and aim to use some of those same words when you're sharing the assessment and plan. Now, as anesthesiologists, we have to be real good at this. 
because we have to form those trust bonds with families quickly. We're not in the preoperative area for that long. And we do that by seeing our patients as people first. Now the last tip, L, love your life. And I know it's so weird to say, right? But like we're quick to get amnesia. You know, there was a time when we prayed for what we have right now, prayed like crazy for us to pass our step exams, cried our eyes out, getting through medical school. You know, we agonized over that rank order list, cried again at the match. You know, I want you to take a step back and acknowledge that you are exactly where you need to be in this moment. Please do not fall prey to the whole, like, I'll be happy when syndrome. You you know how that is. Like, ah, I'll be happy when I get into medical school. I'll be happy when I get through my steps. I'll be happy when I match into a great program. I'll be happy when I finish my board exams. I'll be happy when I get a job. You see how like that goalpost keeps moving and you keep delaying your happiness. And then you look up, you're 85 years old and you're like, what happened to life? What happened? Where did life go? We have to embrace and savor life right now. And I like the tip that Cheryl Strayed used. She's a New York Times bestselling author and the host of a podcast I really enjoyed called Dear Sugars. She said her mother told her, put yourself in the way of beauty every day. We know that no matter what happens in a day, there's a sunrise and a sunset. Make a point to see one of those. Put yourself in the way of beauty. Identify something that's going to remind you to savor this one precious and wild life, as the poet Mary Oliver would say. One precious and wild life. Part of loving our life is going to be changing our relationship to fear, actually learning to embrace it, because that fear means you're living outside of your comfort zone, and all the magic happens outside of your comfort zone. That is where you're going to grow. You're going to grow into your identity as a physician grow into your identity as an anesthesiologist. It could be growing into your identity as a parent or an entrepreneur. It is where the growth happens. Eleanor Roosevelt had it right when she said, do something that scares you every day, because this is not going to be the last time you're scared or nervous. It's going to happen again and again and again, because you're going to grow. And growth only happens outside of the comfort zone. Some of us beat up on ourselves for being afraid. Don't do that. You call yourself a coward and, oh, pull it together. It's like, no, actually, every day that you are moving forward with fear right there with you, you are being courageous. Every day you get out of bed and you're saying, I'm doing this. You are being courageous, okay? Cowardice, the time when you need to say, pull yourself together, 
is when you let fear paralyze you, okay? Fear is going to be there. The question is, how are you going to respond to it? Are you going to move forward or are you going to let that hold you back? Okay, there's no absence of fear. Okay, everybody's doing it scared. Celebrate that you are doing it scared. You are courageous, and I applaud you for that. So, in conclusion, how to deal with the nervousness of being new? Remember the steps D, don't beat up on yourself. E, establish a sense of community, and it extends beyond your peer group. A, acknowledge that patients are people first, and L, love your life. I hope that is helpful as you deal with the nervousness of being new. I'm so excited for this new journey upon which you are embarking. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.